0: Welcome to the RD2B podcast. Each week, we sit down with a different registered dietitian nutritionist to showcase the diversity of opportunity in the dietetics profession. Our aim is to dismantle the notion that there is a traditional career path. I'm Carl Barnes, the registered dietitian behind the scenes of RD2B. And I am Jenna Warnock, the RD2B host. Our RD guests share their stories, career paths, and advice to help students like us succeed in the profession.
1: Welcome back to another week of the RD2B podcast. I'm your registered dietitian host, Carl Barnes. This is our weekly podcast where we sit down with a different awesome registered dietitian each week to showcase the diversity of opportunity in the profession and really to dismantle the notion that there's a traditional career path. And the more people we talk to, the more you realize that you can really do anything um, in the world of of dietetics. So we're really excited to be sitting down with Wesley McWhorter today. He's working in the field of food as medicine, but really, that does not does not uh, explain all that you do, so we're really excited to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us. Glad to be here.
0: And I'm Jenna, your RD to be host. And so, Wes, you are an extremely well-accomplished dietitian and focus on a very unique niche of dietetics regarding nutrition literacy and bridging the gap with culinary education. And so, can you describe your journey of beginning in culinary school all the way to your doctorate of public health with the RD credential?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and Carl and Jenna, it's just wonderful to be here, um, be on this podcast. And when we were just chatting a little earlier, I I described how I wish this had had been around when I was going through my studies. I I just remember being so lost. Um, I don't know if any of the students listening didn't realize you had to do an internship, but I was one of those students. Like, come final semester, like, wait, there's more to this before I can be an RD. Um, I know, you know, it might sound funny, you know, like, oh, he's well accomplished. But yeah, that was me going through undergrad, just like, man, there's more to this. It's going to take so long. So um, I I guess describing my journey, you might have to get some popcorn out because it it seems like a a long winding, winding road for myself. But I'll start back at, you know, I I grew up in Southern Alabama and, um, you know, a lot of family with chronic conditions. You know, I I was a, a kid that really loved to eat food. I know we all eat, but I really love food. I love the flavors of food. I love the flavor profiles. I'm the youngest of four, and I cooked a lot with my mom, um, and I just remember loving, you know, the uh, to, to eat, to try different foods, to to cook different foods. Um, but my grandfather, he had a heart attack, you know, and and I remember going over to their house, uh, my grandmother trying to get him to to eat the healthy food that the doctor had prescribed. You know, the the doctor said, hey, you know, I have the, you had a heart attack. You had this this condition. What you need to do is you need to change your diet. And it was a handout. You know, it's was that nutrition handout that, you know, doesn't do squat, but that's that's usually the advice that's, that's given. Um, and of course, my grandfather, he didn't want to follow that advice. He was a very nice man. But I remember my grandmother trying to get him to eat that healthy food and him just being like, no, like, this is disgusting. I'm not going to do it. And that sounds funny, but that was one of the inspirations for me to go to culinary school. I wanted to learn how to make healthy food taste good. Um, my exposure um, at that point in time, all healthy food was disgusting. It was nasty. It was not pleasurable. It was not enjoyable. So my pathway really started um, and it it still is. It's, it ended there as well. I don't, uh, my career is not over, but this is where it comes full circle that my, my career really started with flavor and enjoyment and pleasure and, you know, uh, Unfortunately, you know, my grandfather was never given that opportunity to learn that healthy food can be delicious and should be delicious. He had another episode and a stroke and pa- passed away a few years later. So that's that's typically the case that we had seen. So, you know, I went into culinary school um, to, and majored in nutrition to learn how to make healthy food taste good. At the time, I quite frankly didn't know what a dietitian was. Um, m- many of you, uh, maybe you were in the same uh, boat as me, but I thought, hey, this is a two year degree has nutrition in it. Sounds better than that four year four year uh, nutrition degree, uh, you know, um, so that that's really what led me um, to 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 going into culinary school. so I, I worked for several years as a chef um, in many different restaurants, um, uh, you know, country clubs. and then I, I got a job as a private chef. and you know, uh, for those of you who might not know what that is, I, I worked for an individual, I cooked all of their meals, I was also a personal trainer. So I was their trainer, and I cooked all their meals, I basically did everything for them food wise and, and nutrition wise and, and physical ability wise and, and, you know, going through that for several years and, and really learning the the high end of my trade of, of cooking and making delicious food, I, I had a garden, um, all these things that really tied back to the earth and, and you know, improving health and improving food. Um, that Income also allowed me to go back to school um, and, and pursue my undergrad. And I did my undergrad at Kansas State. Um, I was one of those students, you know, as a, a little older student that, you know, and I traveled a lot with my my employer. Um, so it wasn't a traditional go to school every day. I actually was in their global campus. Um, so I was doing, you know, those, the internet classes, the the virtual classes well before that happened in the pandemic. You know, this was in early, early 2000s or, you know, 2010 10 time period. Um, so really thankful for Kansas state and what they, you know, allowed me to do and get that degree. Um, and then going into, to becoming an RD, like I mentioned just a little while ago, Jenna, that, you know, I didn't know we had to do an internship and I'm not blaming, you know, any of my instructors at Kansas state or anything, but maybe I just didn't listen well enough. Um, but you know, once I figured that out, I, there was a, a university in Texas where I was living, uh, university of Texas medical branch that had a combined MSI, uh, MSDI program. And I joined that one. I was one of the first or second classes to go through, but it was just a wonderful experience for me. Um, you know, one professor there in particular, um, uh, uh, Jean. She she really you know believed in me and gave me a lot of uh, confidence to continue you know getting through my master's degree. Giving me a lot of exposure to you know different um, experiences. I was able to for my master's degree work on um a uh, a cookbook you know as a, a cookbook for dorm room, dorm room athletes and that was my like master's thesis and, and you know it was something that was really personalized for me it allowed me to really shine and use my skills so um and then there was a lot of ex- exposure to other kind of non-traditional folks that pursued doctorates and that's really where I was interested in you know pursuing that doctorate um uh, you know, I I hadn't thought I would go that far, you know, in, in education, but it was like every step and maybe some of you feel this way, every step you kind of get to it and you're like, no, I still want to do this. I still want to do that. And, you know, going back to my why of like, why am I in nutrition? And it's to make healthy food taste good. And yes, I can do that on like a, a micro level for, you know, a few people or in a restaurant, but I want, I want to be in a place where I'm educating the health professionals. So that, that pushed me to, you know, continue pursuing you know education and I, I enrolled in my doctorate at UT Health School of Public Health and they had a teaching kitchen they had a garden it was all things that were kind of like made perfect for my background of you know what I've been doing and when I joined there I, I started teaching I started teaching at the, our medical school as well um, you know uh, fast forward four or five years I graduated became a professor at, at, at UT and it was really full circle for me where you know I had started out saying I'm really frustrated with the nutrition advice that's being provided. You know, there isn't a dietitian here, there isn't this information here, and now I'm I'm in a medical school, leading a nutrition education department, teaching future physicians about nutrition education, talking about what an RD does, and really talking about our expertise. So, you know, it, it, it's funny how you know a vision at a very young age can lead to something that really makes sense, and there's a lot of twists and turns in that, but that's that's really kind of what you know, where that came from and why I am where I am.
0: That was an awesome synopsis of everything that you've kind of gone through to lead you up to this moment. And I think a great thing to take away is you started your journey because you had like a personal motivation, yet it led you to nowhere that you could have imagined whenever you began. It's kind of just starting and seeing where it takes you naturally. And so whenever it came to your doctorate of public health, you kind of did describe a little bit of what motivated you yeah. to pursue that higher level. But say if there were any moments during your doctorate degree, because I mean, just with grad school in general, it yeah. can be very stressful when you kind of have those moments where you might be like, oh, God, why? <laughs> and so it, it's definitely
1: of, there. Yes.
0: Yeah. And so whenever you kind of had those low points, um, did you have any prime motivators or things that you reminded yourself to kind of get you through that finish line?
1: You know that is such a beautiful question, Jenna. And I, I go back to there's actually a book that I, I love by Carol Dweck, and it's the 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 conversation of a fix versus a growth mindset. Learning that from an earlier age was one of the best things I could have ever gone through. So I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna plug that book. That if you're struggling and you're like, man, I failed this exam. I struggled here. You know what? Failure is just a learning opportunity. That's that's all it is. We fail so much. I, I mean, I could spend hours on this podcast talking about everything I've done that did not go over well, um, that just crashed and burned. But when you look at it as a way of like, oh man, my life's over. I can't do it again. I, I I can never put myself out there. I can never try again. Then you're then yeah, you're right. It's it is it is the end. But if you view it in the lens of like, oh, it's just a learning opportunity. Just like kids when you're growing up, of hey, you know, you when you learn to walk, you fall down a lot. When you're learning to do something, you fall down a lot. The same thing's true in education. But in education, we're so scared of being wrong. We're so scared of being stupid. We're so scared of being the person that asks the stupid question. Don't be that person. You know, really be that person that just, you keep that natural, you know, inquisitiveness about you where I want to know this. I want to know how this happens. And with that, that really, you know, gives you that why. Um, You know, the, the, the concept of like, why are you here? Why are you doing this? Really what gets you up in the morning to get you through that, you know, seven, seven day exam, that seven day qual exam, that, that terrible class that you just can't stand with that professor that is so boring, whatever it might be, um, you know, really look at why you're here. And, and there's another thing that with, you know, within that is be honest with yourself, don't pursue an area of dietetics that you think you're supposed to do that everyone tells you, you have to do if that's not what you want to do. I never wanted to go into sports but that's what people had told me I should do as a male dietitian. It wasn't the thing I wanted to do and you know I had a I had an RD say, well, you know, why? You know, why would you want to go into sports? And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I don't want to. I'm never going to pursue that. I'm going to pursue what I want to do, the reason why I'm in this field and be honest with yourself, you know, bring your bring your whole self to to whatever career whatever you know you're thinking you want to do. So, uh, you know, wrapping up that that question is just, you know, yeah. Having a very strong reason why you're doing it
0: oh yeah, and for sure and all I can think of in the back of my mind is I feel like the majority of students in my class they just think, oh I have to go into clinical because that's what everyone
1: you do not everyone says that but I can you know again I, I'm fine taking alternative opinions I, i'm 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 very okay with that you don't have to do that. There are many options and many pathways. And, you know, some people say, oh, well, you're a chef. That just means food service. No, I'm, I was a professor at a medical school. So no, that doesn't mean that there's a lot of different things you can do. You can create your own pathway with that though. You better have some thick skin because you'll have some people that tell you you're stupid. You'll have people that tell you you'll never make it. I know. I in undergrad i had a, a professor that said dietitians don't cook i don't care anything about your culinary degree you know fast forward you know about 8 years i was invited to speak at that you know in that same region and you know congratulations i'm so proud of you know all you've done and where your career is gone you know so you get you get both sides of it i had a professor at our medical school that said you'll never teach culinary classes culinary medicine to our medical students Hey guess what I'm a professor now at this medical school so there's many people that you know will tell you you're wrong and tell you you know you shouldn't do that. there's also some that have good advice so you do want to heed advice but just be careful of who you're listening to what is their interest and make sure that you know if you have that vision, you know, weigh, weigh the pros and cons, weigh the, you know, listen to advice, but also if you feel strong about doing it and you can see it through, go for it, you know, try it. The worst that can happen is you fail. And there's always another opportunity to do something else. Always try.
0: mm -hmm, Definitely. And I think one thing, and I heard this like kind of recently, whenever it comes to thinking about your future, like what you want to do, you get nowhere if you just sit and think you know, about the yeah. possible options. Like the only step is kind of doing. And I think your path, like your past is a really great example yeah. of you started in culinary all the way up to your doctorate of public health. And even though you had no expectation of going to uh, grad school, you still found yourself there naturally because throughout the process of doing, you found what worked best for you and your passions.
1: Yeah. I, I joke, sorry to interrupt you. I joke, Um, you know, I always tell people to never say never. There's two things I said I would never do in my life. And one was go to college and the other was move to Texas. I, I did really really well at both. You know, I went have four formal degrees and uh, you know, I I lived in Texas for about 13 years. So I guess let's just start saying I'll never do something that I, I really actually want to do. Um I, I, I want to share this this story that I think is would be powerful for a lot of students of, you know, I was very terrified of public speaking, terrified of it. And I I want to describe like It's important we lean into that lean into the fear lean into it because again fear is just it's the enemy of progression, it is essentially like if you let fear take hold of whatever you want to do in your career, you will never do what you actually want to do. I remember I was asked to do a presentation there were a lot of you know big time people I was still a graduate student. And I crashed and burned in this presentation. I mean, it was terrible. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. I still to this day, I can remember the feeling of walking out of that presentation of being like, I, I, you know, I'm a failure. I can never, I can never move forward. I can never do this again. Like it's even like bringing tears to my eyes right now of how bad it was. But I I, I made the decision that night. I'm like, I'm going to learn how to be a public speaker. I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever opportunity I can to get better at it, you know, sign up for classes, learn how to do it sign up for whatever lecture someone will offer to me. And I was speaking to like the most random groups in Houston, like whoever would take me, I would go present. And some were terrible, some were better. You know, that was about six, seven years ago. I've done well over 600 presentations. I'm not the best, but I'm definitely feel very comfortable in front of a crowd, speaking, presenting, doing all of these things. But I can tell you earlier on in my career, I would have never wanted to be on that stage never wanted to be in a space where, you know, I could potentially look like a fool. Um, and that that's, again, just, you know, lean into that fear, push yourself to kind of go outside of where you might normally think your, your you know, skills are, are really strong. Because oftentimes where we are is the people that get in those positions, they just are the ones that do it. But if you can push yourself, you might even be better at it than your traditional folks might be. So you know, I would encourage anybody that's listening to this, you know, if you're scared of something, go for it
0: go for it. Yeah, definitely. And I can definitely relate to that public speaking aspect and just kind of really the only way to get comfortable with something you're not comfortable with is kind of just throwing yourself into a space that gets you comfortable with it and one thing that you mentioned before our recording is that you had to take a big leap of faith from being an associate professor to kind of going into lifestyle medicine and so I kind of want to talk about how you obtained your current role of leading a lifestyle medicine department like how did you make that yeah
1: yeah so I mean you know traditional careers you know like people say oh you're in this wonderful position why would you ever leave and you know I I got a really great tenure track assistant professor position. And I mean, I I was duly appointed at our school of public health and our McGovern Medical School. I was funded. I was set up to, you know, be tenured in, you know, whatever the pathway would be, whether it be eight, 10 years, whatever that would would take, um, a very good job, a a job that has, you know, a, a, a great trajectory. And then I'm presented with an option to say, hey, let's change the scope of healthcare. Let's change this. Let's do it. You know, let's try it. Let's test it. And to me, again, I already talked about like not being fearful. And yeah, I mean, you you make calculated decisions. I don't want to just say you blindly jump into things, but you don't want to just say, oh, well, no, 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 that that could potentially mess up my trajectory. The worst that can happen is you fail and then you go back and you do something else and it's experience. So to me, I, I, I like to write out like, okay, if I say yes to this, what what are the pros and what are the cons? And I look at them and I'm I'm honest about it and I weigh them. And yeah, there's some negatives. Like I don't get to teach as much as I used to, and I really love to teach. You know, there's there's some things that are different. You know, there's the the the, the things that are that, that are are riskier. But also, it's it's the joy of being able to test and really push that why that you're a part of. So, yeah, it it, it was the non traditional route to you know be in a tenure track position and then leave that and join a startup. Um, but I, I can tell you, it's been a it's been a few months, and it's been a joy. It's a lot of fun. I don't regret it. Um, the things I do regret in my life are the decisions I didn't do. Um, you know, the things where I you know didn't go on the fun trip, or didn't take the time off, or didn't do that. So for this, it's really been a lot of fun to to, to join in a a healthcare startup and going from you know a lot of what I was doing in the research world. Um, is actually what I'm now pushing on the business side. So there's a, there's a calculated decision there for me, Jenna. Is it's like, okay, on, on my side, and, and what I do in my, in my background is a lot of it is you know hands-on culinary medicine education with with a lot of folks that are you know uh, you know historically underprivileged, pushed aside, left in the dark, you know. It, it's a space where there's not been enough done and we aren't doing enough for people. So using that education, using those pieces of like, let's do, you know, food pharmacy, let's do food prescription programming, let's do culinary medicine. So those pieces showing the improvements for health, but now taking this to the business side and saying, does it make economic sense? Will it work on the business side? which All of us know that there's two sides of the aisle, politically speaking, and some folks, unfortunately, care more about the money and other folks care more about people. Sometimes there's overlap Uh, for me in the nutrition world. I think we have to prove both to actually see policy change. So I see, you know, this opportunity that I'm in is as a a way to take what I've proven and and research what others, not just myself, have proven and say, let's do this at scale. Let's see if we can make it work long term and and at at a bigger case. So that, that's really what led me to make that, that switch.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And can you kind of describe a little bit more what lifestyle medicine is? Because whenever you first described that to me before the recording, the first thing that came yeah. to my mind personally was functional medicine. Yeah. But from what you've described right now, it seems like there's a couple more components. And so if you like compare and contrast the two or kind of describe what lifestyle medicine is.
1: Yes, yeah, so, I mean, you, you, some of you all might be familiar with, you know, the integrative or functional or lifestyle medicine terms, and there's overlap, just like if you might have heard of culinary nutrition, and then you hear culinary medicine, you know, who agrees on everything that's part of it, I, w- I would say like, a, a very cheap summary here would be your know, lifestyle medicine is that the factors like lifestyle pieces that go into it, like the things that are maybe under your control that you can can do. Integrative medicine or functional medicine sometimes look at, looks a little more holistic. But I would say that, you know, Practitioners in both of those fields, whether they be physicians or RDS or whatever other you know uh, allied health, there's overlap. Folks are in both fields, so I don't want to like take one camp over the other camp. But essentially, saying like in, in the scope of where I am, it's not just traditional medicine. Like you know, hey, here, come do do this procedure. We you know we treat you for a condition. Lifestyle. We're really looking at preventative medicine, and then obviously there is the treatment piece. So kind of both ends of that spectrum. And when you're an RD working in that medical space, it's saying, how can we look at this holistically to not just have, you know, a patient has an A1C of nine or 10 or or, or 12 or 15. Now we're going to start doing something. It's okay. The patient is is here. So how can we prevent things from getting worse? How can we get it better for our patients? How can we improve their health? Um, on that same token, you know, is the concept of that, you know, fee for service versus, you know, a value-based care. And I know we had talked about this a little bit, Jenna, but, you know, the, the concept here is that, you know, traditional health care, if we think of it in this way, is that, you know, you come in, you get a service, you pay a fee. It's what some people term, and I, I agree with it, is it's sick, it's sick care. You know, you, we don't do anything about it. Maybe sometimes you go to an annual preventative appointment, but by and large, you're only getting health care when you're sick. Um, so it's a fee for service. So what we're, what was as healthcare providers, what we're, we are incentivized to do is to only treat a ton of people. So it's a fee for service model is, as, as long as I can see 40 patients today, that I'll make enough money. It's not about keeping that patient healthy. It's about a number of procedures. When you flip that and you look at it, a value, a value-based or a full risk model, you're saying, I am, you know, incentivized based on how healthy my patients are. And why that's so important for the dietitian, for the nutrition professional is that, you know, typically speaking in fee for service, we're not reimbursed at a high enough rate for it to matter, especially when we're working with a, a physician group, for instance, where why would I do nutrition education? Why would I work with the RD if the reimbursement rate is this amount when I can be doing this service and get so much more when you flip it and you need to keep your patient healthy and you're at risk. For if your patient ends up in the ER, ends up having an event, then guess what? Nutrition, you know, lifestyle factors, physical activity, all of these things are so much more important. And that's where, you know, I'm really a big believer that in the next several years, there's going to be just a wide open door for RDs to really step in this space and be leaders in that, you know, in that, you know, value-based care model, um, you know, in the lifestyle realm and not just, you know, in a, a typical nutrition counseling, but, you know, there's so much more to what an RD can do in the space.
0: Yeah, definitely. And this is actually like one realm of dietetics that I'm personally really interested in, just kind of like looking at the root cause and how a holistic approach of kind of solving, instead of masking it with symptoms, because, you know, you can promote longevity, but quality of life should also be attached to that as well, not just kind of giving different prescriptions to make them not have symptoms, but also making sure that they're symptom free and yeah. for the main issue for sure. And
1: Jenna, if I may, sorry I keep interrupting you. I, I so no, apologize. I'm just so excited about to talk about this. Is you know typically what we see often is you know in that fee for service model, we we're talking about a lot of chronic conditions, you know, diabetes and heart disease, which didn't occur overnight. But because of that model, what we want to do is we want to do an acute fix. We want to have just a quick prescription is done. Here's a diet, follow it, you're done. We fixed you. That does not work. You know, my doctorates in behavioral science, I can tell you that if it was that easy, we would not have the rates of, you know, not so-called non-adherence that we that we do have. And 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 that that's that's the thing that we really can shift on is no longer, which you know, dietitians here, you know, RDs to be. We believe in a dietary pattern. We don't believe in diets, but so often we're still stuck in this model where folks are put in a controlled mechanism. Our studies are based on, you know, three months, top, maybe it's six weeks of of following someone, but it's not in the real world. It's treated as, you know, kind of a rat in the cage, as a robot. The behavior piece is taken out. So how can we really look at like what works for our patients long-term to not just put a patch a band-aid on it, but really to, to build this, these changes, these, these positive, you know, shifts into our patients' lives instead of just, Hey, here you go. Here's a handout. I'm, you know, probably won't see you again. I know you're not incentivized to come back to me, et cetera, et cetera. So really it's important that we can start, you know, doing nutrition, like we've been wanting to. And I I really believe that, you know, that value-based care is that, that option for us moving forward.
0: Definitely, and one thing that I'm curious about is for RDTBs or just new dietitians that are really interested in this space of dietetics. What advice would you give them for kind of getting their way into that space, or kind of helping promote more of like representation in this form of dietetics?
1: Yeah, you know, I I think this this goes for RDTBs and and current dietitians too. Is we got to get better at working outside of our profession. You know, like oftentimes we're really scared of like. Oh my God! You educate physicians. Why would you do that? They're going to steal our job. Well, they're not. Like an, a physician doesn't want an, an RD job. They want to know what you do. You know, half the time, you know, when we would question our, our medical students, they wouldn't even know what a dietitian is. Much less like what our expertise is. Once you work alliance alongside somebody, there's that mutual respect. So we really have to do a better job of getting to know each other, um, getting getting our word out there about what we do. Not just saying, "Hey, we're the nutrition experts," but, "Hey, let me show you." you know, and have some humility there too. So as a student, you know, join in a lifestyle medicine, you know, um, Uh, the, the practice, like join as a student member, join an integrative and functional medicine as a student member, like get to know medical students, get to know dental students, get to know nursing students work together. Like that's, that's how you communicate. That's how you get involved in the interprofessional work that really will help accelerate and improve our profession. You know, we, we have to get outside of that siloed nature that a lot of us have been in for a long time. You know, I'm, I'm a big, big advocate of, you know, expanding, you know, our repertoire and, and leaning into, you know, sometimes it's a little scary to get up in front of all these super experts, but you're an expert yourself, you know, believe in yourself and believe in the knowledge that you have. And, and, you know, honestly, I have so many great relationships with physicians, with PAs, with nurse practitioners, with, you know, nurses and other folks. And it, it wouldn't have happened if we didn't have that opportunity to really, you know, again, work together.
0: Mm-hmm, definitely. And kind of just going to that lifestyle medicine model of a holistic approach, you need a holistic yes. educational background as well to target that population and kind of solve it from that angle. And what, what you mentioned of like merging different things together to kind of promote that lifestyle medicine model, you incorporate your culinary background with culinary medicine. And so yeah. could you explain how you blend that in your current position for helping people?
1: Yeah, you know, I, 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 I make a, I make a lot of jokes about it, but, you know, as a chef first and dietitian, I remember walking into patient's rooms and say, I'm the dietitian. And I immediately see someone clam up like, oh, I ate broccoli, uh, brown rice and chicken. That's it. I don't want to talk about anything else. And then, uh, you know, if I took a different approach, walking into another room and, you know, again, this is just an anecdotal, anecdotal study I did myself by, you know, presenting myself in different ways, but I walk into a room and I say, Hey, I'm a chef. Guess what? The conversation goes completely different. Oh my goodness, tell me what you love to eat. Oh, I love this. Do you like this? Tell me what your favorite thing to cook is. And that might not seem like a big deal, but like when you look at the behavior change and like what what are motivators? What are what are things that really inspire people to change? I can tell you one thing that doesn't, and that's punishment. And nutrition right now, not the RD's fault, but the way it's portrayed is punishment, shame, judgment. Things that I'm not excited about. We often see when I ask people, what do they think of when they think of healthy food, they talk about boiled Brussels sprouts, a sad salad. Um, That's not something that's going to excite you or bring joy. So one of the things that I really like to focus on with culinary is bringing joy to the table, you know, like pleasure. And that's a lot of where I spend my time talking is like, what do you like to eat? What is the joy here? What, what inspires you to make the food that you love? Tell me about what your mom made or your dad made or your grandmother, whoever it is you cooked with growing up. What are those flavors that you truly, truly enjoy? And the reason why that's important, again, when you look at it from the behavior side, is that as humans, we are going to do what is the most simple thing, the thing that we like to do long-term. Yes, we can be put on a diet and we can motivate ourselves and force ourselves to do it. But guess what? We fall off because again, it is a, it's is a—it's just you're, you're forcing yourself to do it. It's a, It's a task. It's not part of what you want to. It's not part of enjoyment. So- I think, as dietitians, where the culinary medicine, where culinary really comes in is it it creates a space for us to to really talk about pleasure and enjoyment and food and 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 be excited about it. I think for too long, many RDs have have been siloed in spaces where they the only way they can communicate to patients is with a handout for ten or fifteen minutes. The culinary medicine field allows us a space to say, Okay. So you have diabetes. Let's talk about what we could make, you know, here's some, you know, let's test this food. Let's try it. You know, Oh, you don't like that. We'll spit it out. Let's try something else, you know, different spices and different flavors. It really creates a safe space, a space for failure, you know, to, to normalize that failure, to really walk through it and say, okay, this works for me and my family, or this doesn't work for me and my family, which is so, so important when we're, you know, as dietitians really battling that that perception of negativity, that perception of punishment. And again, I'm, I'm not blaming dietitians for that. That is the nature of our field. Um, oftentimes people are sent to the dietitian because they didn't follow advice because they didn't do something right. So we're like the disciplinarian and you know we're the police essentially when we should be, Hey, that's the fun guy that likes to cook with me and tell me about how to eat enjoyable food. And that's really where we want to come through is using that culinary uh, piece to, to be excited. It's like the selling piece.
0: And I think a great thing to also tie in with that is your doctorate and with behavioral health concentration, that definitely incorporates as well into how a person responds to certain foods, whether they enjoy it or not, because that quality of life piece also comes yeah. with enjoying your food as well. And so it's definitely kind of making sure that you remember that with each patient. And so, I mean, of course, not all of us are going to get a graduate degree in, yeah. in behavioral health. But one thing that I was wondering is, especially with new dietitians and again, RDWs like myself, what do you have any like tips or things that you learned in your graduate degree yeah. that we can kind of remember regarding behavioral health and kind of remembering important to?
1: Yeah, it, it might sound offensive to new to, to dietitians, but no one cares about nutrition. Okay. That's, that's what I want to say right there. Okay. And, and let me, let me finish the statement here. If you, if y'all look at, you know, if you take an intro to psychology class or something on that line, you have the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, down on the bottom of that needs, you have to have like the basic fundamental things covered before you really care about the, you know, the elevated thought and all those things. So similar in, in the food space, you have to have food that tastes good, that you enjoy before you care about nutrition. And even before you get to nutrition, so you have like on the bottom of the pyramid is like flavor, taste and enjoyment above that is like, do I have the time to do this? Uh, Do I have the skill to do it? You know, will my family enjoy it? Like the barriers that really prevent someone say from eating healthy. And then on the top is nutrition. That's so the, the problem is that most of us dietitians, we, we end up coming into the room and talking about nutrition, which is extremely important. Don't get me wrong. But it's not how you sell. It's almost like proposing to someone you just met a marriage when you don't even know them yet. You need to get a few things out of the way first before you you go to you know go that far. You know, the the first date's a little more important than you know, uh, to, to 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 get there. And and that's kind of the the summarizing, I guess that's that's what I would say from a behavior side. So when we teach these classes, like I mentioned, the negative perception, you know, that that outcome expectation, healthy food you know, in my mind is, you know, boiled Brussels sprouts. It's, it's not enjoyment. It's, it's that disgusting looking thing there. I don't want to eat it. So we have to flip that outcome expectation. So we, we do an, a taste exposure. You know, it's the roasted Brussels sprout where, oh my goodness, this tastes so good. I love that. I don't have to argue till I'm blue in the face to that patient that this is healthy because you simply enjoy eating it because it tastes good. So we use the taste as a way, as a hook to get in to talk about nutrition and really help make that change. Again, I think that that is one of the most fundamental things we have to do as dietitians is utilize a different, you know, motivator, not the scare tactic, not the tactic to say, you do this, it'll make you healthy. People know vegetables are healthy, but they don't taste good. So we have to really focus on how we can make that happen.
0: Yeah, and I think that's definitely a great thing to kind of focus on, especially with the new patient, just kind of doing taste and then uh, nutrition later, because you can definitely, yeah, yeah. once you have that strong foundation, like what you mentioned, it's super easy to just have it naturally flow to something that's that they'll stick to and also just they'll yeah. enjoy yeah. much more in the long run. And so, um, mm-hmm. gonna- sorry.
1: Yeah. Well, I, just, I think to that point, Jenna, like you know, the, the, what we do in our classes, we, we do the taste ex- exposure first, because then it's a positive experience. And then to me there's okay show me how to do this i want to see how to do it and th- this is something we published on too actually in, in jand as well and um it's the taste see do model so uh, i'm going to taste okay that changes the perception here changes my my expectation of what the food's going to be and then i'm going to watch you know someone prepare this to see if it's eh, is it simple enough you know that 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 Uh, watching my colleague, can I do it? And then the final piece is doing yourself. And I like to say, you know, I'm a big sports fan. You know, I'm pretty athletic, but I'm a terrible basketball player. I love watching basketball. If I watch, you know, you know you know Golden State, shoot a bunch of threes I can't go out there and shoot a three pointer. It's just not going to happen. Now if I go and practice it, yeah, I'll get better at it and that's the thing too we have to have hands-on practice to get better at things. It's not just about watching, it's about doing. So that that see, do is really the model that I like to, to push people to of full circle for people to really get that exposure and, and circle it in where they can do it for themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Because I feel like, especially like what, what you mentioned, a lot of people see one dietitian and they probably never see them again. Well, yeah, you yeah. yeah, you kind of want to make sure, especially the goal is to have a long term relationship with a dietitian. But if you just have a one and done situation, you want to make sure they have the tools to keep it up for yeah. and yeah. not just hear it and then have it go out the ear in like 30 minutes from there. And so one other thing that you're involved with, and you did mention this before with kind of getting involved with um, dietetic practice groups within the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, is that you are also a spokesperson for the Academy. And so um, what sort of messages or things do you you use to your advantage in that position to kind of um, promote and get the word out?
1: Yeah, I mean, for for me, a lot of it is is again. I, I think if if anyone hears me speak or present, I'm usually talking about flavor and food and enjoyment and pleasure, and usually a sexiness is thrown in there somewhere because I, I think you know we ha- we have to have these I mean, pleasure oriented words around food because that's so 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 important. So, you know, getting that perception away from the negativity of the dietitian, um, and then the other thing is just making it more simple. Like we we make everything so complicated like nutrition is not that complicated yes there can be areas where we do need to deep dive into stuff but like by and large for for the folks within the bell curve it's not that complicated there's not that many things you really have to focus on it's it's as simple as that 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 plate that we, we utilize of like are there any vegetables Are you eat them or is there some color in your plate you know like are you eating whole grain so you know, really really helping to to take a lot of those you know Oh, well, there is a study and they said this and this. And it's like, well, if you look at the, the rationale here, actually it's saying this. So, you know, I, I've loved the the opportunity to to you know take my science knowledge, my my food skills, um, health promotion skills, and, and kind of pull them all together and, and take messages where it's simplified. You know, it makes sense. Not not dumbing down things. I don't want to say that, but like. You know, get the noise out of the way because there is so much noise out there. Um, and, and it's hard for for our community members to understand that. Mixed messaging is very, very frustrating. So yeah, I, I love being a part of that. i would I would advise you know every you know r d to be to to take those opportunities to speak, to get better to present, no matter what area of field or wherever you go you'll never, it, it will always serve, you know, uh, a really good benefit for you to be a good presenter, a good speaker, um, to, to be able to get your points across well. So absolutely take advantage of them if you can.
0: Definitely. And kind of honing in on that advice for students or just um, kind of younger dietitians. is there anything you wish you knew while you were in that student position that would yeah. have been helpful for you now?
1: Yeah, you know, there, there's, Man, I mean, I, I could think I have a list and list and list of things. But one thing we hadn't talked about yet is just diversity in food. Um, you know, I'm a white, white male. I grew up in southern Alabama. Um, I did not know food for my culture could be healthy until I was in my doctorate. That sounds crazy. I know that sounds crazy. But honestly, I rejected all my culture, my food, because I was told to do so. Oh, you're from Southern Alabama, you must be stupid. The food you eat is why everybody's sick. And that's what we see in literature, too. I've seen, you know, uh, as a researcher, you know, review papers, review papers where essentially, you know, the the blame for for hypertension, the blame for diabetes is solely placed on, you know, uh, black and brown folks culture, it's blamed on food culture, and it's, it's, it's not it's not accurate representation of foods, it's bastardizations of foods. And that's a such a huge problem. So the reason why I say this is I'm sure there's a lot of RDs listening to this that feel the same. I have to eat this, this so called, you know, whitewash Mediterranean way, or, you know, I'm not, I'm not healthy, or I have to do this or that. And like, you know, you might like kale, good for you. I don't, I like collard greens. That's my thing. It's in the same category. And that's something that, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, a, a big problem for us is that, We we don't have a lot of exposure to foods that we don't normally eat. And then when we give advice, we're giving advice for foods that we that look good to us, but might not be representative to our patients. So I would really, you know, say that one of the things I wish I had known is that, yeah, there are many ways to be to to have a so-called healthier eating pattern and and your food ways and your cultural food patterns. Those, you know, are not bad for you the the, you know your culture didn't make you sick essentially so you know really looking at like how can we make sure that we learn more about other people's foods beyond our own Um, and then also not have the the air of you know i think overly confidence where we say we're competent in everyone's food but more of an air of of cultural humility where we say i don't know much and i think you know tying this together jenna the, the what i'm trying to say is i wish i had known i didn't need to know everything when i was a student we have this perception that I got to know everything to be an expert, but that's not true. I think, you know, one of my professors early on in my, my career, he said, you know, when I graduated from my undergrad, I knew everything. When I graduated from my master's, I knew a lot. When I graduated from my doctorate, I knew a very little bit about, a very, I knew a, a lot about a very tiny piece. And I think what that says is that, you know, there's so much that we won't know but as you know, future experts, we we just really need to be guides. You know, we need to ask good questions and listen, and really, you know, be the person that can say, okay, tell me about your food. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about what you want to do, and and that's really how the counseling goes. Some of you might have heard of motivational interviewing, which is a similar concept, but it's it's you're basically just being an interesting person and being a good listener. You know, full stop. Listen. You know, make have a good relationship so you can really make those connections and provide good counseling instead of, you know, oh, well, you're unhealthy, eat these foods. We'd never want to go down that route. So for my my sake, you know, lean into your your cultural food ways, lean into the foods that you love because there's definitely a way to to eat them, to to enjoy them. Um, and, and and by and large, they're probably healthier than a lot of the other things that were are recommended.
0: Definitely. And I think you just kind of touched on a lot of great things where it's a, you're not supposed to know everything and really just keeping the open mind and just open mind with hearing people out, listening, not waiting your turn to speak and focusing on just hearing the person out and then using our knowledge that we do have to guide them in the right direction. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so you did cover a lot of great advice for, um, nutrition students and something that you wanted to know and we did cover just a bunch of great different avenues and niches of dietetics from culinary using the academy um public health behavioral health we just touched a lot of bases but if there was yeah so if there was one more piece of advice you would want to leave rd2b's with whether, no matter like if this is their second career if they're a freshman or even if they just finished their dietetic internship if there was just one thing that you would want rd2b's to know
1: Yeah, I feel like I'm uh, giving out a bunch of sage advice, except I'm not. I don't know if I'm actually in that, that period. But one thing that you need to do is never accept the first offer that comes to the table. Always, always negotiate your salary. Please always negotiate. That doesn't mean you always get a higher salary, but maybe you get an extra day off. You get a better work environment. You can work from home a day a week, whatever it might be. Always, always, always negotiate. Believe in yourself. You are worth it, and I know someone listening to this maybe doesn't feel like they are. They got that, you know that that the syndrome of feeling like i'm I'm a faker, I don't belong here. You belong, you can make it, you can do it. I know someone needs to hear it. So believe in yourself, there's a lot of space for you. And if they're in, create it. you know, you can you can have that kind of niche. I know for myself, fifteen years ago, like I said, people like nutrition and dietetics, that doesn't go together. Our uh, uh, culinary and dietetics, those things are separate. Why would you do them together? Um, Clearly that's changed. So if you have a vision, stick to it. The last thing is just lean into the fear, you know, lean into it. Um, it, It's important that, you know, you you lean into it, but when you lean into that fear, not based on what someone else's career is like you don't need to be a Carl you don't need to be a Wesley or a Jenna be yourself so you don't need to say well Wesley's done these and these so I if, if I'm not to where his career is then I'm a failure no like what is it that you want to do for yourself and lean into that um, because if you're always trying to chase somebody else you're going to burn out and be miserable when it's yourself and your own career and the things that you want to do versus that comparison game you can really lean in and enjoy the ride and really have some some fulfillment in your career.
0: I think those are great words to end off of. Thank you so much, Wesley, for taking time. Yeah, you just touched on so many wonderful topics. And I know our U2Bs out there will gain a lot from this interview. So yeah, thank you so much.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.